It's not until I think about music being played that I realize I barely know the names of the major instruments. Luckily, my expert today has a lot of experience and passion as a professional musician. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Larry Powell. Larry has been playing the trumpet for over 40 years now, performing everywhere from an orchestra to a circus, from entertaining on a cruise ship to teaching in a classroom. Larry's here today to talk a bit about the different types of musicians and what it takes to get really good. Also, another big thank you to all of you listening out there. The show's audience has been growing so fast, and it looks like we might just be closing out March with the most listens of all time. That combined with the featured spot on Podbean and the number one spot in education, I am just so unbelievably thankful to each and every one of you for caring about the show, topics, guests, and maybe even me. Just maybe. Let's discover our internal melody. Welcome to the show, Larry Powell. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am so excited I, to have you on the show. I, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm Larry, Larry Powell. Uh, I am a, oh my gosh, you know, I've been thinking about this, how to describe myself on an intro. And and so I, I host my own podcast, right? I get to ask the question or in, do the intro and then let everybody else talk. And so trying to figure out how I'm going to introduce myself it was like this monumental, I felt like I was having to write a dissertation, you know, and then I'm going to be graded. I'm going to be judged on it. Um, so very simply, uh, I'm a musician. Uh, that's, that's been my life. Everything I've done, uh, I'm 56. Everything I've done has been related to music. Uh, even if I've done admin things, it's been music related. And you'd be surprised at, at the things I've, I've done. Uh, that sounds like a uh, that sounds like something criminal. Uh, and, and some people might argue that my playing uh, was criminal, but I'm a, I'm a trumpet player, which may already explain uh, for musicians out there, may already explain uh, my, my whole stream of uh, consciousness here. But uh, yeah, I've, I've taught, I've played, I've done circuses, I've played cruise ships, you know, and I don't know where you want to go from there. It's, uh, I'm ready to talk about anything. Yeah. No, I get it. Like I always tell people the hardest part about being on anyone else's show is doing my own intro. Right. Like it's like, I don't, I'm not worried about the topic I have to talk about. I know the topic, but I don't know who I am enough to introduce myself to other people. Right. <laughs> so I totally get that. Yeah. But as far as like playing the trumpet, how long did it take for you to get to like, I guess a, a level where you were paid, where you were a professional musician? Well, Good question. And, I, and I'll say it, there was an epiphany for me that being a professional and being paid weren't necessarily the same thing. Because I will say early on, uh, I was being paid uh, to play, and I wasn't doing anything professional uh, about it, as far as being responsible for being prepared and showing up on time. So, uh, but I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, so to, to think of it in terms of where I went from the amateur status into professional um, I was, it was working on my bachelor's degree and I started, uh, getting gigs, you know, church gigs. 
and this is early 80s. So the gigs were maybe Sunday morning service. You do a rehearsal and a service. I might make 75 bucks. I'm a pro <laughs> at that point, you know? So what is that? 81, 82? No, uh, 84. Uh, I started. Holy cow. We're coming up on 40 years. Congratulations. Thanks. So yeah, I'm, I'm making a little more than 75 bucks uh, a service these days. <laughs> Well, that's good. I'm glad you're making more than $75 per gig. Yeah. So do you kind of see it as like, do you separate it into amateur, semi-pro, professional, or do you see like professional having even layers to itself where you're like, yes, you're a professional, but you're entry level professional. For myself or how oh, I just, industry. just in general in the industry. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I work with so many people who um, would classify themselves as weekend warriors, right? They only play on the weekend. There are people like me who it's their full-time profession. And I think there are people out there whose uh, mom and dad have told them how talented they are and they should go on America's Idol and or American Idol. And so that being said, of those three groups, the, the true professional, the weekend warrior, and then the other I think they can all be professional. It's, it's all in the attitude. It's how you approach things. You know, how seriously do you take your art, your craft, uh, your vocation or avocation, depending on what it is. Um, and I work with people who are weekend warriors who, man, they can play their backside off, you know, and has nothing to do with uh, anything other than they're just great musicians and they show up and they're prepared and people like what they play. Yeah. Because to me, it's very much like that was the moment where I started saying like, oh, I'm a semi-pro podcaster. I made a paycheck. It wasn't like covering all of my bills. It wasn't full time. It wasn't any of that. But I was like, oh, I'm I'm semi-pro because I got I got money. And that's right? all it took. So right. it sounds like it's very much the same in your field where you can do like, you know, some gigs here and there or you can do it all of the time. Yeah. And of course, everything changed with. 2020 and, and trickling in and after that, um, my whole industry got decimated and, and not just music, not just the arts, but you know, with, I'm just going to think about my own industry. We were, we were watching the calendar, you know, March 15th of, of 2020, man, there's 13th actually, when things started to drop, drop off the calendar, I'm watching my income just disappear day by day, week by week. You know, so then you got to reinvent yourself, right? It's like, well, am I ever going to be a musician, full-time musician again? And I tell you, a lot of people have gone different directions. You know, I think the word pivot uh, became, and pivot and Zoom became the two most used words uh, in the pandemic, right? So you had to find a way as an entrepreneur or a podcaster or a musician or whatever to, this was my path before I got to do something different now. With me, it was still music. Right. I wasn't able to play all the time. I had already had my podcast going. So that's, I pivoted and I just went head first into interviewing as many, uh, as many great musicians as I could. Well, and there was especially a struggle inside of the pandemic that I think a lot of people didn't see where, like I had friends who were considered gig work because their work was not necessarily consistent. They had an event schedule. Like I assume a lot of musicians do. Did all of yours kind of fall into the same category where it's like it's gig work technically? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
for those, um, and there's a very small percentage of musicians, and, and I'm thinking in the orchestral world, which is where I, I spend most of my time, um, who have a full-time gig, including health benefits, right? Those, they're still playing gigs, but those are full-time. Everybody else below that, per service people, that's gig work. And yeah, that's exactly where I was. And that's still where I am. Yeah, because that was kind of the area that was hit the hardest, at least here in the U.S., because they're like, mm -hmm. you don't qualify for unemployment because you don't have this, what we consider to be the regular job, and right. you don't qualify for any other kind of assistance because, you know, it was like, it was one of the craziest things I saw come down from people that were like the hardest working people I knew mm -hmm. technically fell into that category and just immediately started watching the calendar, you know, after the fact, like you said, things dropped off and then they're like, okay, how long before I can do this again? Because mm -hmm. I, I just went to zero in my income. Yeah. It's uh, and you know, I remember that first time uh, thinking, I wonder if I qualify for unemployment because I, I knew I would never qualify previously. Um, but then of course some things changed and I can't remember the, the whole the whole sequence of that, but uh, I did get a little bit of, well, here's why I did, because I was teaching, I taught, uh, taught university level uh, for 15 years. So I was employed as an adjunct. And so I think that since I was laid off from a university that helped qualify me for unemployment. And I tell you, I've never been more grateful uh, for, you know, that safety net right there. And it, it uh, quite honestly, it, it got us through. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. So when you do start talking to people about your field and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm a professional trumpet player. Is there a lot of misconceptions that you run into with people where they're like, oh, this thing? So, yes, uh, the, the funny thing is, as soon as you introduce yourself as a trumpet player, I'd be like, hi, my name's Larry. You know, how are you? Did I? Yeah, I'm a trumpet player. And they, uh, they, everybody, I would say 100%, everybody goes, oh, you play trumpet and they do this thing with their two hands, like, you know, 10 vowels, you know, the trumpet has three vowels, but everybody does this motion. Then they all say, Hey, you know, I used to play trumpet or I used to play clarinet or it's like, I've immediately guilted them into uh, confessing that they didn't continue playing. Right. And that's, I guarantee that's immediately where the conversation goes after that. Hi, I'm a trumpet player. Well, I used to play, let's talk about my, my failures. <laughs> As a musician through life. Um, and, and I'm serious about that. You know, and if, I'm not talking about people that I know uh, that are in the same field, but yeah, general public, um, that's, that's really the first thing. Then we get past that and they'll start asking me about, you know, what I do. And I'll tell them I'm an orchestral musician. Oh, they always assume, first of all, that I, since I'm a trumpet player, I play jazz. And I do a little bit. But most of my focus uh, in, in my career has been on the orchestra side of things, which there are two vastly different fields, um, incredibly talented people in every part of the industry. But, you know, if you're going to break it down into two areas, jazz, and we don't call it legit anymore because the jazz people get, the jazzers get really upset. <laughs> um, they're legit too, but jazz and, and classical, they'd call it, or commercial even. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine having that kind of like, it, I'm in a weird situation because I didn't learn 
music growing up. Like I didn't take any music classes. I never picked up an instrument. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always just fascinated. Anyone, every time I talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I either play or have played this instrument. I'm like, wow, you can play an instrument. And the look on their face is like, I set off a flashbang in the room. It's they're like, what, what do you mean? I can play an instrument. Everyone can play an instrument. <laughs> like I can't play anything. Well, and you know, uh, going back to that thing where people are, are confessing that, oh, I used to play. And so I'll ask what they do. I'm an accountant. And I would say, you know what? You don't want me doing your books. I'm, I'm good at what I do, but you should feel comfortable, you know, and I admire what they do. And, and I try to, I try to level the, that playing field, if, if that's a good way to think about it. You know, it's, um, I'm good at what I do. You don't want me doing your taxes. Uh, you don't want me mowing your yard either. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I was thinking too about, uh, this might be a little off topic, um, in preparing for today, just thinking, when did I ever decide that I was going to do this? And I can't actually pinpoint this light bulb moment, this epiphany where it's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a musician, you know, the rest of my life. It was sometime in high school. Uh, and I wanted to be a, a band director to begin with, not just a trumpet player, band director. And everything from that point forward has been education. Uh, you know, I tell people college was the best 17 years of my life and not consecutive, mind you. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and I'm serious about that, you know, um, a master's, a bachelor's degree and master's degree, one year of doctoral work, uh, a lot of certification in some other uh, areas of music, you know, that, and I still consider myself a lifelong learner. If I, if I can't learn anything else, then I don't need to be teaching any longer. I have to stay curious from, for myself and for my students, but uh, yeah. So, you know, early eighties, 1980 actually would be the year that I decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. It's going to be my path. And so you had said like you went to college and you got degrees. Are mm -hmm. they in like music administration or is there just a degree that says like, I have a bachelor's in trumpet playing? Uh, you can get a bachelor's in trumpet and instrument. Uh, it's called a performance degree. And, but my bachelor's was actually in music education. And there are a lot of different uh, areas in that. Mine was K through 12. My license or, or diploma was K through 12, vocal and instrumental, even though I only wanted to teach high school band. Um, my master's uh, was trumpet performance. And my year of doctoral work was trumpet performance. Uh, so you can get very, very specific within those degree programs. Although that doesn't pigeonhole you into only doing, you know, just because I have a bachelor's in music ed doesn't mean I can't play anymore. It's just, that's what qualifies me for, you know, getting a, a teaching job at a high school. Right. You're like, it's an add on to my, my ability to play is now, you know, increased by teaching other people how to play. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, but in hindsight, and I value my degrees, uh, I value every, every bit of the education, but you know, in hindsight, it's like, man, it's just a piece of paper. It's, it's an expensive piece of paper, you know? Yeah. I imagine. Uh, and it's necessary. Um, the bachelor's and master's is necessary. Um, the reason I only did a year of doctoral work is because I realized, um, 
and, and this is going to sound maybe a bit obnoxious, but when I was doing my doctorate, I was more already more qualified than my trumpet professor. I was already qualified. Oh, you're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> I was already more uh, qualified uh, at that point. And I had actually some of my, my colleagues, my fellow students asking me, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I need this piece of paper because I'd been teaching college as an adjunct and my department chair, she wanted me to be able to get a full-time teaching job somewhere. Um, so I started chasing that piece of paper really to satisfy her. And, you know, we're still good friends in spite of all that. But um, yeah, once I realized that it, this is, it's too much, it, it's costing me too much uh, money and too much time. And yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad I stopped it, but kudos to everybody that makes it through a doctoral program. It's hard. So if you've, if you've gone through there, congratulations, I admire your tenacity for that. Yeah. So is that something they look for? I, I don't even know the process, I guess. Do you apply like with a, a traditional application process to be part of an orchestra? Are they like, oh, we're looking for bachelor's and up degrees? Um, no, not so much for, for playing jobs, um, for teaching jobs. Yes. Uh, these days, if you're going to teach in college, they want a master's degree required doctorate preferred. Um, but then there can be, if you've got a ton of experience and not any degree that can also weigh into, into things as far as the playing goes. Um, yeah. And it's an audition process. Uh, for these big orchestras, even the regional orchestras. I play in several regional orchestras here in Indiana. Um, there's an audition, you know, some, there's a, a chair that becomes open and you send in your resume and you go and you audition along with anywhere from 10 to 150 others. And I've done, I, I kept a list. I've done almost 50 interview, uh, 50 auditions or orchestra auditions specifically. And I won three of them and two of the orchestras I played with, I was appointed, meaning I didn't have to go through the audition process. I was, I had been subbing into the orchestra. They knew my playing and they just said, Hey, you want to be principal trumpet? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, but otherwise um, it's an audition process and man, it is cutthroat. And you've got people now with doctorates coming out of, of grad school who have six to eight hours a day to practice and, and get all this material down and they go in and they kill it in an audition and they win it. So, you know, I've got these 22, 24 year old kids coming in, winning these auditions with zero experience, zero real world experience. Um, and, and so it's hard, you know, so if I'm going to audition, I've got coming on really about 30 years of professional playing experience, but I don't have the doctorate. And I don't have eight hours a day to sit and practice all the materials. So they've got the advantage there, even though I've got the experience and I could walk in and play that job in a heartbeat, nail it. Yeah. And that's very interesting because, you know, you're saying it takes like a lot of practice to do this. Is it just to ensure that you have no mistakes, your timing is perfect, or do you learn things about your instrument you know, even 40 years later? Oh, yes. To answer that, all those questions, yes. Um, you work on, in, in the actual audition process, as you're preparing, it's, yeah, you want to be 
very precise in your timing, your intonation, your articulation. But really what they want to hear is your sound, your style. You know, if you're playing Beethoven, do you sound like you're playing Beethoven? If you're playing Tchaikovsky, are you playing in that style? They want to see how versatile you are. So when you get to those levels, everybody has a, a pretty good grasp of technique on their instrument, whatever that instrument is. And it comes down to, to really style. Can you be convincing in the way that you play it? Everybody's going to play well. Everybody's going to sound good. So then it's very subjective, really, uh, or objective uh, from the audition committee. It's like, you know, I like their sound better than their sound. They both played perfectly, but preference goes to their sound is going to fit with our orchestra better. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's uh, been the way it's been forever. As far as learning more about the instrument, um, <laughs> Louis Armstrong, I don't know if that's the name that rings a bell. Uh, Louis Armstrong said, you know, the trumpet is a jealous mistress. And it's true. If you put that horn down for one day, it, it's going to kick your butt coming back the next day. I take a day off. Uh, do you know who Doc Severinsen is? I Doc Severinsen? Okay. So uh, Johnny Carson in the Tonight Show back in late 60s uh, to the early 90s. Um, Doc was the band leader, worldwide famous trumpet player, and actually a friend of mine. He's 96 years old now. Um, but Doc uh, said, you know, if I take a day off, I notice it. If I take two days off, my band notices. If I take three days off, the audience notices. So it's like it doesn't matter how long you've been in this industry. You got to stay on top of it every single day. Like today I've, I've put in already about three hours worth of, of playing time today and I'll go back and I'll do more later. I don't have a gig today, but I got to keep my chops in shape and always learning something new. Uh, always trying to, you know, play a little bit higher, a little bit louder, a little bit softer, a little bit faster, uh, learn some new styles. Yeah, it's an unforgiving process, but it's extremely rewarding in the end. And is that kind of something like you can reinvent the classics where you play them a little differently than they're intended? Or do you try to stick very closely to how they were they were originally designed so that you don't skew, you know, on your own later? <laughs> that's a that's a really good question because you've got these two I'm gonna be very basic in these this answer. You've got two camps out there. You've got the purists who say, well, Mozart wrote it this way. It should be performed this way. And then you've got those out there who are like, yeah, it's Mozart, but they, they try to put their own take on it. And, and, I, and I don't mean to the point to where it's not recognizable or it's, it's a mockery of Mozart, but it, there are, it's called uh, period work, you know, uh, Mozart's classical period. So uh, you need to play things very stylistically pure uh, to be considered you know, a, a period player. And then otherwise, um, yeah, and here's the funny thing too, is audiences have expectations. They don't want to hear Beethoven's fifth reinvented. Everybody wants to hear it exactly the way they've known it forever and ever. Everybody wants to hear uh, Moonlight Sonata, Beethoven Moonlight Sonata, the way they've heard it since they, they were growing up. You try to redo that and people, man, it's like... <laughs> you just lit a fuse you better run yeah and is that kind of like the most common thing that an orchestra does is like cover specific periods or specific 
you know, artists or composers or musicians? Man, uh, you, you got this great questions. Um, and it's funny, I've, I've never heard anybody ask in an orchestra cover, um, but we do, we, you know, we do arrangements. Uh, there, yeah, there are festivals out there, the mostly Mozart festival, which they play mostly Mozart. <laughs> um, but really for orchestras these days to maintain their relevancy, um, they can't just play old dead white composers. And really that's what the orchestra world was for a really long time. And thankfully uh, these days, you know, there are, there are uh, orchestras who are actively pursuing female composers, composers of color, uh, composers from outside the Western European way of composing. Um, there are, of course, films now, you know, Harry Potter and Star Wars, all these, these orchestras are now playing along to the, the movie being broadcast above the stage. Um, so you've got all these things trying to get out of this old dead white guy routine and and being as diverse as possible. Well, you have to, to, to continue to bring audiences in and build your base. Orchestras, thankfully, are starting to realize that. And quite honestly, as a performer, I, I love it. I love being able to, to play a, a concerto and an overture on the front half of a program and after intermission, come back and do uh, Star Wars or you know an all John Williams program. Uh, yeah, that's like, interesting. I guess I didn't really... You know, when I think of an orchestra, like I do, I guess, think mostly just of like period music, like you mm -hmm. said, where it's very classic. And I don't think about like, you know, John Williams or, you know, everyone that does work on, like you said, Star Wars or Harry Potter, even Disney, like mm -hmm. they all have orchestras. I just don't, You, I guess I don't think about them when I think orchestra. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Disney all the movies, uh, not all, but most of the recording for all this stuff goes on out in LA. And you've got studio musicians out there who are just, they're working, seems like 25 hours a day uh, to try to keep up with the schedule. Even, even in this world where things are more uh, computer or synth generated, the live orchestral sound is still preferred. Um, but yeah, uh, you find a lot of modern composers who are incorporating jazz into uh, their composition. They're in, they're incorporating, I don't know if you've seen the movie interstellar. Yeah. It, it, go back and listen to the score for that. It is so different than, you know, jaws or star Wars. Uh, but more com more composers are, are including uh, styles like that within, within theirs. We're, I wouldn't say reinventing, but they're certainly exploiting. Uh, oh, exploiting doesn't. It's not the right word either. They're making the most of it. Yeah, they're diversifying the industry. Yes. yes, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, you had said like they have a pretty aggressive schedule out there in the LA yeah. player scene, especially. Is there like a normal work schedule that most people fall into, or is it also very diverse? For the studio players? Um, I guess for like a, just a professional like yourself, we'll take your schedule. Is it usually pretty like stable, you know, like, oh, Monday through Friday, I have two hours that I have to show up. Or is it like 
every day of the week I have a six hour period. <laughs> there is nothing stable about about my uh, my work week. Um, so it, I'll frame this for you. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, my industry is completely decimated. Um, had to find work. So local high school here where my kids go, they needed a sub. So I started subbing, needed a full-time sub. So I went and I got a job as a full-time sub, you know, basically I'm a, I, I classroom management. I just make sure nobody kills anybody else. Uh, it's not true, but so I, I kept that job. I actually like that job. I get to work with some great people. Um, but within that, I'm also able to, I also have a job as a production manager for one of the orchestras I work with. So I work on, on things for that orchestra while I'm at that school. And they know that I'm not giving, you know, not going to get myself in trouble with that. Um, I'm also, um, <laughs> and the administrative assistant for the high school band program because I didn't have enough to do. And I also teach at a, um, at a local academy, uh, music academy, and that's one night a week. Um, so my orchestra schedule really is um, usually we do a double on Friday, a double on Saturday, meaning we do two rehearsals on Friday, uh, a dress rehearsal, Saturday morning, concert, Saturday night. In the regional orchestra world, that's that's kind of where we are. So that's kind of a weekly expectation. I'm really only going to be in rehearsal and concert Friday and Saturday. The rest of the week, I'm finding every time I can, I get to school early, 6.15, I usually start, and I'll put in an hour and a half uh, on my instrument beforehand. Then I'll run down during lunch, 30-minute lunch break. I'll put in 20 minutes uh, there. And after school, if I don't have to go teach or play anywhere right then, I'll put more time in right there. Now, what makes it even more interesting is my wife is a violinist. Um, all three of our sons are musicians. And even though one is out of the house now, um, we're all vying for practice time in, in the house. Um, our two younger boys, one plays uh, violin, one plays piano. And then I taught them both trumpet. Now, my wife's not happy that there are now three trumpet players in the house. <laughs> It's loud. Yeah. It's really loud. Um, but, uh, you know, so I even have to schedule my practice time around what my, my boys and my wife are doing, trying to get learn their repertoire for the week. Um, and it changes week to week. Uh, last week, I got a call the day before, says, hey, can you come do a recording session tomorrow? Well, fortunately, I was on spring break. I said, sure. So I went in and sat down and was part of a recording session for about six hours that day. Um, and I still had to get some practice time in after that. It's different every week. I play with an orchestra down in Kentucky, you know, so their commute for that. And that's once every six weeks. It's, you know, it's a four hour drive. It's not like driving you know, 20 minutes downtown and, and walking into the concert hall and doing your thing. So a lot of times, Musicians like me who play in these regional orchestras, we spend a lot of time in the car. Um, my wife and I both play in some of the same orchestras. So we have car dates, right? And, you know, you only see each other. It's like, where are you going tonight? Oh, yeah, we have the same rehearsal. <laughs> it's like, and so we catch up in the car. We have our car date. It's fun. But uh, I'm not a nine to five person. I, I 
tried that a little bit a long time ago and it's not for me. No, that's, I mean, I think that's really cool that you kind of like, you get to do these different things and you get the, you know, the opportunity to play in different places. Is some of that like a mandatory tour? Like if you're with your regional group, do you guys like, we're going, you know, different places pretty consistently, or do you have like a home base? That's a home base. Yeah. There, there are very few orchestras that actually tour, um, especially these days it, and it's kind of ramping back up, but no, most of these orchestras have their, their central, their radius, you know, they're, they're based in this town and then they reach out to all these donut counties and, you know, all these schools. And so they've got their audience base. Um, so very little travel, they will do what's called a run out, you know, maybe they'll do a, a run out to a local high school that doesn't normally uh, have anybody visit, you know, go play a concert there for the community. Uh, but most of the time, everything's in the same, same place. And, you know, we've talked a bit about like, you know, the industry, as you said, was just decimated because everyone was forced out for a while. And I know you said it's, it's recovering. Is it recovering in a way that is like, oh, people getting into it right now have an easier time than it used to be? Or is it significantly harder because there's less opportunity? Like there's just less people you know, forming orchestras and putting bands together. And so it's harder to find work. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's better and it's getting better than it was pre pandemic because people had to get out of their routine. People had to reinvent, people had to find a new way to do things. And all these businesses that, that started in thinking, even just, you know, my wife started her screen printing business in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and man, she's, she's doing really well with that. Um, I think there are people who are looking for opportunities and people who create opportunities. And there have been an awful lot of people who've been in the creative mode, seeking out uh, new opportunities. Those who are just waiting for things to, to come to them, you know, they're playing less and less um, or they're finding themselves being called less and less. Um, so yeah, I think nobody wants a pandemic to happen, but I think out of tragedy, you know, comes a lot of really great change, you know, a forest burns to the ground, but what comes after that is, you know, even more robust than what was there before. So that's kind of how I look at the music industry these days is, yeah, we got burned to the ground like a lot of others, but we're coming back more robustly. If that's a real word, robustly. Yeah. I like it <laughs> robustly. We're going to use it. All right, good. And, you know, with you playing so much, I know a lot of people kind of have like, and I have certain songs, but I guess I have it too. I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, right now in like period music in the classical sense, a lot of people have a very deep, like emotional tie to songs where they're like, oh, I love this song because of when it was written or what it was trying to convey or, you know, what it was like for me in my childhood when I heard it, whatever it is. Do you still have some of that or are you like, is it pretty automated? It's, you know, you're like mechanically, I've got this song down and it means, you know, nothing more to me than that. So it, uh, there are two, th two things that I want to answer about that. The first one is um, when I grew up, I was listening to Styx, um, Van Halen, you know, we're talking early eighties, right? Um, I was a huge fan of Styx. 
and don't worry, I'm not going to sing any, any of their stuff. <laughs> but one of the first guest artists that I ever got to play with was Dennis DeYoung, who was, he founded Sticks. So, you know, I'm on the stage with this orchestra and Dennis is out front and, and we're playing the songs that I grew up listening to. We're doing the orchestral version, but, you know, I'm sitting there and man, it's like a drug. And it's just, it, so it's not any particular song um, that, that, you know, even all these years later, it's, uh, you're always chasing that high. At least I am. There's no particular song or particular, particular genre or composer. It's uh, any concert can, and sometimes there, you play a concert and you don't get that high. Um, but most of the time I do, I walk away thinking, man, that was, that was awesome. You know, I, I, I work hard, but that's what makes it even, even more rewarding. I hope that answered your question. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's you just like, you me on that later. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, we've all done something, either picked up a hobby or whatever it is at work where we're just like, it becomes the grind and you're like, oh, we just practice until we're, we're proficient. We're good. And then you start to like, enjoy it less and less. And I can't think of like a more tragic version of that than if you're like playing music because everyone gets something out of this performance. Like they show up and enjoy the show. And I was like, oh man, do you guys just like, you know, flatline like your brain activity just sh shuts off while you're in the middle of this? Because you're like, it's the same song I've played for the last 30 years. You know, uh, the, okay. So along that line, you know, however many times I've played Beethoven 5. I look forward to the, the next one and not just for myself, but you feed off, even in orchestras, you feed off of the energy of an audience, even those, you know, you think it's very posh and reserved, um, which that whole dynamic is really changing, but it doesn't matter how many times you've played a particular piece. Um, there's always satisfaction in performing it again and to see the people in the, in the seats, enjoy it. Uh, to see your colleagues enjoy it. You know, I can look across the stage and see my wife, you know, playing violin and, and she's loving what she's doing. It's like, are you kidding? And I'm, I'm getting paid for this. Um, so it can seem like it's become a routine or a rut or oh, I can't believe we got to play this again, but here, uh, okay. Here's where I was going with that. It doesn't matter if I'm, it doesn't matter how I feel about a piece that audience member, that might be their very first time or only time that they're going to be uh, in that seat as an, and, and listening. They deserve for me to play it my absolute best. I can't show up. I can't just phone it in, right? Everybody who walks that through that door, every patron, every sponsor, every everybody that comes through there, all my colleagues on stage, they deserve for me to play my absolute best. It means I'm prepared. I don't show up, you know, sight read the, the show, uh, although I have, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But my, my idea is it's not about me. It's about the composer. It's about my colleagues on stage and it's about the audience. You know, so when you think about it that way. Yeah, definitely changes the way you feel like, absolutely. you know, and there's always something like there's magic in shows. Like I love going to, to any concert because you feel like, it's the energy the band's putting off. It's the energy like in the crowd. I love to like just get right into the mix of things. And so like the energy coming off the people around you like really yeah. makes a show for me more than like, 
I've heard the music before. Obviously, I was a fan of whatever the music was because I bought a ticket to a concert. But like, it's there's something so different about live shows. Yeah, they're great because things can go wrong, <laughs> <laughs> and and things can go really differently. Um, there's nothing that beats live music. You know, I, I love to listen to you know YouTube, Spotify, whatever you know wherever I'm listening to things these days. But yeah, the live experience. It, it's because of that energy. It's exactly what you just mentioned. You know, there's this, uh, there's this wave that can just kind of go through and nobody knows what it is, but man, you feel it. And you're like, that was freaking awesome. That, and that's that drug I was talking about earlier. You know, it's like you, you keep chasing that and you hope that every concert is going to have, have that element there. Yeah. So. And you'd mentioned it just real briefly. What is sight reading? Oh, okay. So exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you sit down and you look at a piece of music for the very first time and you play it. Now, sight reading could be something you do on a daily basis just to, to practice that so that when a piece of music comes in front of you you've never seen before, you can, you can play it without fail. There are times, and I'll toot my own horn, uh, which is funny because I'm a trumpet player, um, but my reputation here in, in Indiana, Indiana is um, I play with several orchestras, but I get called to sub in with some other orchestras and I'm good at what I do and good enough to the point to where uh, there's been an orchestra or two that have called me in the morning, like a Saturday morning and said, hey, Larry, uh, Andy, or whoever our principal trumpet is, uh, is sick. Can you come play the show tonight? Right, no rehearsal, walk in, play the show. Yeah, sure. I'll be there. What time? And by the way, where am I going? <laughs> and uh, so I'll get there like an hour and a half, two hours ahead. I'll sit down and I'll look, look through the book and see if there's anything I, I haven't seen before, anything that stands out. And I'll ask one of the other trumpet players. They said, hey, walk me through this. Make sure I'm not going to step in any holes. And, you know, every, it's a very collaborative atmosphere. I mean, nobody's going to set you up to fail. Everybody wants you to sound good. So great colleagues to work with. Um and sometimes the conductor looks up, he has no idea there's going to be somebody new in that chair that night. So, you know, sometimes I get a look like, who the heck are you? <laughs> and I just smile back and I'm like, let's go. You know? So it's me. It's a, it's a very <laughs> high pressure. It can be a very high pressure job, but I thrive on that sort of thing. I love doing the sight reading, sight reading thing. Yeah. Well, and there is like, I, I am immediately confused because I'm music illiterate if I look at sheet music, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it looks sometimes like chaos, but I guess yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I guess it just like, at some point it just clicks in like any other written language where you're like, yeah, you just read the notes. Right. You nailed it. You, you nailed it right there. It is. It's a written language. All the, all, all that are, all they are are symbols. They represent a certain pitch, a certain, note length there are markings on there that tell you how to accent it there are there are descriptors in there that tell you you know in a spanish style in an italian style you know and and they'll use foreign words to do that or, or like a dance you know all this stuff it's like all comes together you know exactly what to do so that's a wild skill to me because <laughs> again it's just like looking at another foreign language where i'm like i have no idea how to read this and the person next to you just translates it to english is you're like, oh, wow, that's very interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and, and there's, a, there's a pride that goes along with that too. You know, people who are great site. My wife is a fantastic site reader. She's another one that, that will get called the day of, hey, we need somebody to, to fill in. So we both thrive on that high pressure stuff. And we kind of talked about this at the start when you said like the trumpet, you know, everybody kind of pantomimes like all fingers moving. Right. You said there's three valves. Does that mean there is usually less notes or are the valves just much more complex than other instruments? The trumpet is the most complex instrument on the face of the earth. Okay. It's not, <laughs> but you would think it is the way some people play it. Um, no, it, every, every instrument is unique and every instrument is difficult uh, in its own way. Trumpets and brass instruments, you know, we, uh, it looks like we have three valves, but there are combinations of those, of, you know, you can press one down, you can press two down at a time, three and different, eight different combinations, really. Um, but depending on your airspeed that you're actually moving the air through the instrument and um, the amount of air uh, will determine the pitch. So, you know, you can play, I don't know, 20 different notes on one fingering. Right. It's just, you got to know all the combinations and it's, uh, I'm making it sound fairly complex, but it's, it is fairly simple, but it's difficult to master. Yeah. But I think it just goes back to like, again, sheet music. I am illiterate, but I see like a piano and I'm like, okay, there is a metric ton of keys on this thing. Yep. And then you're like, yeah, my trumpet has three, three valves. And I'm like, okay. So there has to be a lot more complexity in those three than to each, you know, key on a piano. And we don't have the full range of a piano. We can't play all the way down to the, the really low notes, like on the piano. Um, but nobody would want to hear a trumpet do that anyways. <laughs> you know, there's an expectation that a trumpet's going to be going to do the fanfare kind of stuff or the, the really high, exciting uh, stuff or, or play jazz. Um, the same with any instrument, you know, there are expectations for what it's going to sound like. So piano has the widest range. Um, but I think of it, maybe all the other instruments have their own, their own voice, their own vocal quality. Yeah. And, you know, talking about instruments, you obviously have a variety of them among just your household. Mm -hmm. Is there like a preferred brand that the professionals kind of gravitate to, or is that like every single instrument has their own preferred, you know, like this is the top quality. This is what you should get if you're just starting that kind of thing. Um, there are beginner intermediate professional instruments. Um, there are mass uh, producers of instruments like Yamaha. Uh, and it's the same Yamaha that makes, uh, ATVs. It's the same company, just different division. Uh, but Yamaha is probably one of the largest producers of musical instruments in the world. Very high quality, and they make kind of the beginner, intermediate, and pro models. What's happened over the years, though, and there are other very large companies, but what's happened over the years is as people have gone to work for those companies, then they've left and they've started their own. So now you've got all these boutique uh, instrument makers out there who are extremely competitive. And in many ways, their, their professional model is light years beyond what was there before, which makes the professional world really happy. 
but also it gets really expensive, you know? So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a preferred brand, but it changes from one person to the other. It's like, I prefer this. They prefer that it's Pepsi and Coke. It's not like you show up and you're like that piano better be a Steinway or I'm going to walk out of here. Well, for the soloists, uh, they, who are sponsored or or they are uh, performing artists for Steinway or Yamaha. If it's not a Steinway or Yamaha, they won't, they won't play. And is that, they're like, I know the difference in my pianos and that thing's not going to handle the way I like it. I'm just not going to do it. Well, there's that. And then there's contractually. Um, they're just, they, they can't, you know, they've signed an agreement with that company and, you know, they can't perform on, on that. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting to think about. Like I'm contractually obligated to, to play Steinway, like, because I wouldn't think, I guess I wouldn't think people would pay that much attention to it, that they would like, you know, focus on what exactly is being played on one part of an entire stage full of people. But I guess, you know, some people are always paying attention, right? So they're like, I have to because it like someone will notice in the crowd. Well, and honestly, I don't think the audience would notice the difference. Um, A really great musician can make an inferior instrument sound amazing. You could have one of the, the least expensive beginner instruments and you put it in the hands of a professional and it's going to sound like a pro horn, a pro instrument because it's, it's the person operating it. It's a hunk of brass. I mean, the thing that I play is a hunk of brass. I blow air through a hunk of brass for a living. An inanimate, <laughs> expensive hunk of brass. That's a very interesting way to look at it. You're like, it is just material at the end of the day. Like, it's the person holding it that does any of the work. Yeah. And, you know, go back to that uh, jealous mistress thing. But it's like, you know, it might be an inanimate object, but man, it kicks my butt every single day. And, and, you know, that's, you try to have a routine as a musician, you try to have a routine in the way that you approach each day, maybe not playing exactly the same thing every day, but doing the same, uh, same sorts of things. Um, I don't know that I'll ever give up. I've told people that I'll play taps at my own funeral, (laughs) right? That's, that's how long I'm going to keep playing. And hopefully that's not for quite a while, but um, when people uh, talk about retirement, I'm like, what's that? I don't know what that's going to be like, because I can't imagine not having music as part of what I do. Well, and that's part of that. Like you found something that you love and that you're passionate about. And now you're like, why would I give it up? Like, this is not your, you know, it's not the nine to five. Like, this is not that job. I enjoy what I do. I do. Uh, you know, and it's funny you say that because I'm thinking, I've tried to do other things. I don't get any enjoyment out of doing anything different. Um, This is the thing that really satisfies. I could make a lot more money doing something else. I could make a lot more money doing something else, but there's a, there's a satisfaction that comes. I'm able to provide for my family. Right. So if we were, if I couldn't, then I would definitely do something else. But if the fact that we can make it work, then we're going to keep doing that. Yeah. And again, um, I, I've tried the other things. I was in the Air Force. You know, I did that for a while. Uh, I worked for churches. I worked for banks. Um, hated. Well, I, I love the Air Force, but I, I hated all the other stuff. But yeah, it 
the other thing is uh, there's there's a difference uh, with the orchestra thing. The nice thing that makes things interesting is you get calls to play things like the circus, which is actually still a thing. Um, or you'll get uh, a call to go play. Uh, here's one of the most unique jobs I ever played. The Big Ten, uh, the athletic conference, the Big Ten had just expanded to like 14 different schools. And their swimming and diving championships were here in Indianapolis. And they, they called me and they said, hey, we want somebody to come and play the fight song for each one of the schools before the final match, meet, whatever it is. I said, sure, I'll do it. I didn't realize they'd expanded to add four more schools. So I had all the Big Ten tunes. And I got there and I'm like, holy cow, there are four more. So I actually had a, a couple of cheerleaders from the other schools come in and sing their fight song to me. And I, I notated it now. The, and then I ended up playing, but the funny thing is I was in a tuxedo and they walked me out on the end of the diving board, right in front of this huge crowd standing over a giant pool in a tuxedo with uh, all this music in one hand and my trumpet in the other and playing fight songs. I mean, that's like the most random, how did I get this gig? And, you know, they paid me in hindsight, it wasn't enough. But, you know, it's like, that is, that is not a daily occurrence, but, you know, the fact that I did it and that I, uh, that I survived it, you know, and, and it makes, I think it makes for a great story. Yeah. You're like, if somebody had taken a photograph of that moment, it would look like I was Photoshopped onto the diving board. Man. Oh yeah. So this, yeah, this is pre cell phone, right? So, uh, you know, I doubt anybody had any well, maybe the old style cameras, but yeah, uh, you know, and getting, here's uh, one other thing I, I want to throw in there too. It's, you get to meet a lot of great artists um, with this. Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas, uh, had worked with him, uh, a lot of Christian artists, uh, Amy Grant, Twyla Paris, Beach Boys, let's see, I'm trying to think who else, um, Led Zeppelin, of course not the... Uh, not the band with Bonham uh, in there, but uh, that makes for a lot of interesting uh, variety to what we do. Um, and I'm a fan of classic rock. So anytime I get to do anything like that, you know, that's, that's bonus. That's icing on the cake. And that's awesome. Cause you have this experience where like you've worked with so many you know, professionals that people look up to just as musicians and artists, like you said, where you're like, this is crazy. And you've also worked, you know, with kids trying to learn their instruments through high school. I imagine people have come up to you and they say like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to do this professionally. Do you ever recommend or warn against when they like come up? Are you like, oh, it's great. Absolutely pursue this or just like stay out, stay away, <laughs> get out, run, run. turn the other way and run. Uh, it, it's funny. It, my answer has changed over the years. Um, I think early on, I would be like, uh, man, you don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too hard. But as I've made it through the years and, and learned how to adapt, um, I'm thinking if, if I can teach somebody else to know how to adapt, how to evolve, uh, that you, it's not going to ever be just this one thing day after day. It's going to be uh, a, a thing in progress. I'll say to him, like when I was teaching college, I would, I would have students like that. I want to do this for a living. And I'd say, well, let's talk. 
and we go through week by week lessons and you know it would be hopefully to this point of self-realization they would come to that answer themselves you know, we would see you know, are you a good enough player are you do you really like people are you sure you want to be a teacher because you don't have great social skills <laughs> you, know, you might want you don't like kids you might not want to go into teaching um so yeah there's those things have happened where i've encouraged people to go both ways i've encouraged them to say you know what um why don't you minor in music why don't you if your real love is accounting why don't you do accounting and then those who are i'm like you're amazing you should go head first into this just go in fact you don't even need me you should just go now and and work as hard as you can well i think that like it gives people a great point to say like you know how much do you love this is this the only thing you want to do are you good enough to do that or is it like you could get there you just need a lot more practice mm-hmm. you know because i imagine some people are just like oh i really love doing this and you're like look i don't think you know there's three valves on this instrument <laughs> you know gotta kind of push them one way or another like hey if you want to do this you gotta work really 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 hard because you are a long ways behind everyone else and, and there's this whole thing too is um can you, can you make a living? Can you support yourself with it? If you can, then yeah, absolutely go for it. If it's something that you're not a hundred percent behind and you're like, eh, then I would say it's, it's an avocation. It's a hobby. Don't pursue it as a full-time, full-time gig. Um, because you're, you're gonna, you're gonna cheat your audience right? They deserve, again, going back to what I'd said earlier, you know, your audience deserves to have the the best you can possibly deliver. So yeah, it's, uh, and you know, we're reminded of this every day as professional musicians. It's like, I can't just get up and take a day off, right? Got to get on the horn, got to do, got to do what I need to do to get through the day. And, and it's rewarding. It is a lot of work can be tiring. Um, I'm having a good time right now. I'm going to be playing a show Legally Blonde, the Broadway show that's uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. So I've been working on, on learning the book for that and great music. Uh, So, you know, something new to come, uh, to come through and that keeps a lot more interesting. It's very different style of playing than I do on a regular basis. So uh, that's not, you know, it's not just eating steak every night of the week which might not be bad. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And I think something to look forward to there. I have appreciated your time immensely. This has been super awesome. I was hoping to kind of give you some time. If you want to tell people where to find you or the things you do, let them know. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so 2017, I actually had this idea for a podcast. Um, so I'll talk about my podcast for a second. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'd been listening to some other podcasts and I'm like, man, that sounds like fun. I think I could do that. And so I just thought I'll start interviewing. And I did, I got a, a little recorder, started interviewing <clears throat> some local people. This was all audio. This is pre zoom. Um, and I got through about 40 some interviews <clears throat> before zoom happened. Um, oh, but the name of the podcast was studio HFL. So the, the running joke with trumpet players is higher, faster, louder. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to play higher, faster, and louder. Um, but what it has evolved into, and so I, mean, I interviewed mostly trumpet players, um, but what it's evolved into is Hear From Legends, Studio HFL, Hear From Legends. And um, 
I've reached out to, I, I've been all across the world, not, not physically, but, you know, thankfully the Zoom, you know, I've interviewed people in Australia uh, and Japan and all over Europe. Uh, but getting to have conversations with these people um, who I have shared the stage with some of these people, but giving, giving myself an opportunity to chat with them. But then what I found is I really get more joy in then providing that audio or that video, that information to other people. I've had people in my own industry say, really appreciate you doing this. I'm like, what? I'm just having fun. They're like, no, you're documenting. You're, you're a historian basically for, uh, for this. And you know, I like that. Okay. I'll keep, I'll keep that in the back. The main idea is that I'm still enjoying doing this sort of thing. So anyways, studio HFL, mostly trumpet players, um, some conductors, uh, some film composers, uh, for, you know, major Hollywood studios, um, some big time artists, some people who are not big time artists. Um, but everybody has a story to tell and I like hearing it. And so if you're interested in, in hearing really unique things that we don't talk shop, here's another thing is, uh, we don't talk about what kind of mouthpiece do you play? Uh, which is a big thing with trumpet players. It's great conversation. And if anybody wants to find out where to find that at studiohfl.com, uh, also have a YouTube channel, uh, Studio HFL, and uh, website, studiohfl.com, uh, Spotify. Man, where, where are all the places that we put these things? Know, everywhere. They're, they're everywhere these days. Everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Audible, yeah. Yeah. you know, all the way down the chain. And if people do go listen to this, I want to encourage people, if you enjoy this, like download some episodes, leave a good review. It helps other people find these shows that you enjoy. And that is such a huge thing for us as creators is to have these reviews just to say like, it's really good. Five stars. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's so easy. And it means so much to people that put out products like this. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I appreciate when people do rate that. Um, yeah. If, if, People want to enjoy it. And I'd say give every podcast a chance, right? There's, there's some really great stuff out there. Um, I appreciate what you do. You know, you're, you're expanding the, the knowledge base, right? You're, you're giving people an opportunity to hear something they might not hear before. And, and I may have just turned everybody off from ever talking to another trumpet player ever again. <laughs> No, I feel like that's that's what I'm supposed to do here is I am the springboard to go see other other people's things. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if you come here and you're like, wow, I loved hearing about, you know, the trumpet and the intricacy and the music and all this, like this passion, like go listen to Studio HFL. Like now I have I have shot them off into that direction. I'm like, go enjoy that thing. And when you, you know, have enjoyed that thing to your heart's content, come back and find your next new thing. So I, I appreciate you being here. So it's Thanks. been incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. Man, best of luck with, with your show. I, you know, I'm looking forward to downloading some more episodes and I, and I will say just dumb enough, honestly, that's kind of how I feel I am as a trumpet player. I'm just dumb enough to maintain my living as a, as a trumpet player. But uh, I, I've enjoyed chatting with you, man. I appreciate the, the opportunity to have conversation and have a laugh. Do you feel more educated after listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If you enjoyed the episode, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. 
If you really like what I'm doing, remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to me on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. Updated March rankings as we reach the last days. Number one, the United States with Texas, Oregon, and California as top states. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia with Victoria way at the top. Number four, Canada with Ontario holding top province. And number five, Sweden, led by Stockholm, just barely beating out New Zealand and Ireland. Better luck next time. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here on Monday for tips on publishing your own book. Bye bye